Good morning. So on this beautiful Sunday morning, this beautiful Lord's I'm going to uh, be teaching in this Sunday school class on uh, the Black Death, the plague. And uh, if you're wondering why, why am I teaching on Christian responses to the plague, uh, you can just ask Pastor Josh Carey, who's been setting up this series, and he assigned this topic to me. And uh, so we are going to go through uh, some of the responses that the, the church through the ages has had to plagues, to the Black Death. And, um, and I was, I've joked with a few people this morning uh, that, you know, maybe this is something maybe we should have done uh, before uh, beginning with COVID, but kind of on the other side, it's interesting just to be able to look through history and just see how did the church respond to these, uh, these horrible, uh, the horrible spread of these diseases. So uh, I'm going to make an attempt to kind of walk through these things, and I think there will be, as we go along, there will be uh, some things that might surprise you, and uh, hopefully a lot of things that will inform you. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started. So if you join me as we begin. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, even this first day of the week, the Lord's Day, when we celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And we thank you that because of that resurrection and his triumph over the grave, that we can have hope beyond the grave when we have faith in him. And so I pray, Lord, that you would cause us, even as we think about church history, as we think about your dealings with your people and in the world throughout the ages, pray that you would give us wisdom. That's what we're looking for as we look at your, the history of all your dealings. We're looking for wisdom, and I ask that you would uh, teach us now, even by your Spirit. If we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And as I'm talking, I, I notice I am just a, a little bit raspy, and the reason is myself, along with a whole bunch of people, were at Jake Peacock's fight last night, and I was doing lots of uh, yelling and screaming. Uh, so if you... I think I'm, I haven't started smoking or anything. That's not the reason. You know the nursery rhyme. Ring around the rosy, pocket full of posy. Ashu, ashu, we all fall down. Or some variation of it. You used to sing it, you know, sing the nursery rhyme at, at the playground. But where did that come from? Well, you know there have to be dark themes surrounding your life when even the children's nursery rhymes discuss the symptoms and the sudden death of the plague. That's where that nursery rhyme comes from. Now, I think for all of us, we're unfamiliar with calamities that we can't explain by our science. And so we're actually a little bit unskilled in coping with unseen forces. And it's always been this way, though, for fallen mankind, I think. It's, it's throughout the ages. And this difficulty is always illustrated, or it's been illustrated, in how mankind has responded to the plague, to the black death as it became known. Now, the question is that I want us to consider throughout this 
is have Christians responded differently than the rest of society when they are faced with the unseen dangers of the plague. And that's what we're going to look at. So we're going to start, uh, we're going to start with the early church response to the plague. The early church response to the plague. Now, the early Christians, they knew about plagues in part because they inherited the Old Testament. Where's, where's a, a famous example or an infamous example of plagues in the Old Testament? Plagues on Egypt, yeah. So the plagues on Egypt that God, God brought on Egypt in Exodus 12. Um, earlier on, Pharaoh, even in the days of Abram, in Genesis 12, there was plagues on Pharaoh's household. Um, we know there, there was a plague on the disobedient Israelites in, in Numbers 16. As well then, by the time you get to the New Testament, in Revelation 15.6 and Revelation 21.9, there were these promises of plagues that would come in judgment. Now, one of the main results of plague was to call people to repentance. And, and, and so they're facing God's judgment, and so they're called to repentance. So, for example, Revelation 9.20 says this. The rest of mankind, this is Revelation 9.20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So, even from Bible times, there was then this orientation, this recognition with the plagues. If plagues come in judgment, there is this intention that they would elicit repentance. And so that would be then the theme uh, of repentance is what we would have uh, coming out of the early church. That's the theme. And I'm just going to, as we go through these different stages of church history, I'm going to just draw out what I think is a theme from these different eras. And the first theme is repentance. There's, there's these plagues come, and the proper response is to turn from sin and turn to the Lord. Now, in, uh, you know, just when you're getting just outside of the, the earliest church into still the early church, but like kind of after the time of the apostles, there was a plague that happened during the reign of the Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius uh, in 161 to 180. Those are his dates for Aurelius. Um, some of you maybe have heard of Marcus Aurelius. His stuff is coming around a lot. People are reading him, uh, all of his uh, Stoic philosophy. So if you're like a productivity guru person, you want some self-help for productivity, you see people starting to read the Stoics. They'll read Marcus Aurelius. Well, during that plague, uh, the Romans blamed the Christians for the plague because They've, their view, the Romans' view, was that the pagan gods were being neglected. And so then they thought, oh, well, we're not, we're not engaging with the old pagan gods, so therefore those gods are sending this judgment of the plagues. 
And, and then this, the Stoic, Aurelius, the emperor, he supported that view. And then the result of supporting that view was that it accelerated attacks on Christians and even resulting, for example, the martyrdoms that were in Lyon in France. And, the, and, it's their, it, and that city is famous for the martyrs of Lyon and uh, especially there was a testimony of one young woman named Blandina, and she's famous as, as a woman. She was a young girl who, uh, or a young woman who, who was tortured uh, in horrific ways, and, but held to her faith through all that. Now Dionysius, in 251, he was the, he was the bishop or the pastor, we call him a senior pastor, he was the pastor of the church at Alexandria. Dionysius, he gave this description of how, of how uh, the pagans, how they responded. So how did these non-Christians respond? And he said, at the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and, and fled from their dearest throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and the contagion of the fatal disease. But do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. So that was what the pagans were doing. Now, Dionysius then, he commented though then in contrast, and this is what we're trying to get at, how the Christians responded. And he said this, Most of our brothers showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. So you can see from that description, the Christians were going ahead and tending to sick people, sick neighbors even, and, and they in turn were getting sick and often dying. Now, uh, one of the things... It, I'm referring to this as a plague. We're not sure exactly what the disease was that was spreading, but at least at that time, um, some of the scholars argue that it, the Christians were giving just what would, we would view as just basic nursing, uh, which would be just giving food and water, uh, a little, helping with a little bit of hygiene, so just very basic, and then people were recovering from that. So it's a little different than the later bubonic plague. But just the fact that they would do that basic nursing, it really stood out. And so then the Christians had a lower mortality rate during this time, uh, just because they were looking after each other with this basic nursing care. And, uh, and then the non-Christians, they looked at and they saw that, and, and they could see that attraction. Now Cyprian, Cyprian, uh, he, was, uh, he, was a, he was another bishop in Carthage, and he, there was a plague during his time, they even called it the plague of Cyprian, not that Cyprian did it, uh, but that he, he, it was just during his uh, time. And he just, he said this as well. 
He said these, I don't think it's on a slide, he said these are trying exercises for us, speaking of the Christians. These are trying exercises for us, not deaths. They give to the mind the glory of fortitude. By contempt of death, they prepare for the crown. So the idea that the Christians, they really had a sense that, well, life is short, we're getting ready for heaven, this stuff is just, this is just preparing us, you know, we're, we're ready to go to be with Jesus. You know, that was their sense. And so a key text in their minds was Matthew twenty five forty. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And so that's how their view was. It was as if they were ministering really in Christ's name to one another. And then the theme then, uh, the theme then comes up is, compassion. That was the theme of the early church. They, they modeled compassion, and that compassion was distinct from the non-Christian pagans that surrounded them. And that was a big part of why then Christianity seemed so attractive, not only because of uh, the holiness of people's lives, but they simply just looked after one another, and there was actually you know, they seemed to actually live a little bit healthier and a little bit longer than other people did. And so there was that compassion that, that was the basis for that was quite appealing. Well, I want to move on from the early church, and I recognize making, I'm making like centuries and centuries of gaps here, but uh, we only have so much time. So, uh, but going to the medieval church and its response to the plague, so really thinking about, thinking about uh, what we, you might think of as the Roman Catholic Church before the Protestant Reformation, but before the Protestant Reformation, that's, that's all you've got in the West. I mean, there is no really other church. So, so this is still, there's still folks in the medieval church tradition that would certainly be Christian believers, but they're part of that heritage. Now, there became then this, this is the, when we think about the plague, this is when we get the bubonic plague. So 1347, to 1351, you have the plague really spreading into Europe. Um, it's argued that maybe it came from China. If it didn't come from China, China's Silk Road was the means through which then it traveled further west and then came into, into Europe. The bubonic plague uh, was mostly transferred via fleas, fleas on rats. So, and, and you just kind of think about, well, what do you, what do, you do, you know? Do you, do you kill all the rats? Well, maybe, but the problem is when they got rid of the rats, then where do the fleas go? On you. They, got, they go somewhere. And they would kill animals. Oh, cause these animals are carriers. But it's actually the fleas, and the fleas then switch from the animals to the people. So they struggled to know how to deal with these fleas. Um, and they had all kinds of different ideas about it. The death toll, just so that we know uh, we're not comparing any of the things that, you know, in modern ages are, are similar, any, even, even in our COVID, just so we're clear, we're, you can't be comparing these as if they're similar. The death toll was one, and this is argued differently, but one-third of the population 
of Europe died. So 50, 50, 50 million people. Like 50 million people. And, he, and their population wasn't as big as ours now. 50 million people. And that's not including, there was millions of people died in Central Asia, in like Africa, especially North Africa, um, and in China. So like, I mean, it was just a massive, massive depopulation event. And it's not in a nice sanitary way. It means there's dead carcasses, dead people, the stench of death everywhere. Uh, one writer summarizes it this way. The overall confidence and faith in the church from the lay people diminished during the plague and its subsequent outbreaks because the church suffered just as they did. People were unable to see the sort of human side of the church that was unable to save them from the onslaught of the plague. So in the early church, you had this distinction where it seemed like the church's efforts seemed to actually help people to to recover and and survive from whatever its pandemic was. But this one, it seemed like, yeah, church people, they're dying too. Everybody's dying. It doesn't seem to make a difference. Now, there are three three elements, three, three responses to this onslaught of death. And you got this crazy picture here. Three responses that resulted during the medieval age. Persecution of the Jews, the flagellant heretics, and fewer clergy. I'm just going to take them each in turn. What happened was, there was there, then you had the persecution of the Jews because there was this mistaken belief that it was the Jews that had spread the plague. So they, the, the Jews were treated as the super spreaders of the bubonic plague. So then that's where you, you I'm not saying it started then, but you had accelerated what became then this ingrained history of anti-Semitism leading to you know, these, these pogroms against Jews throughout, throughout Europe. So that was one response. The second, this, these flagellant heretics, and that's what the picture is, these guys going around, um, these guys are part of what was known as the, the Brotherhood of the Cross, and they go around and they'd, they'd whip their backs and you'd have these kind of posses of people doing this. They'd come into your village and they're going to whip themselves for their sins and also for society's sins. They weren't, they weren't orthodox. They had weird ideas, weird beliefs. And they're trying to essentially self-atone. They're going to self-whip themselves, self-atone as a way to end the plague. They think, well, if we beat ourselves up for ourselves and others, then that will stop the plague. Because seeing it's from God. So you have these flagellant heretics roaming around, uh, making everybody feel bad. Uh, and then the last is just the simple fact of fewer clergy. So many of the, the priests, they died. Uh, they, they died along with everybody else. And because there was, there was fewer people and fewer, even to, fewer folks to even draw from 
to enter the priesthood, fewer to train. Well, then they, there's not new, new priests or new clergy trained up to replace the dead ones. And so then you, the result is you have churches all over Europe, all these village churches in particular, they, they just don't, they don't have any spiritual direction. There's no spiritual leadership because there's nobody there. There's no, they're gone. And, and you can imagine, too, if you did get somebody, oh, we got a priest. He's poorly trained. He you know, doesn't know nothing. And that. Then you have then this, this mass of, of illiteracy, even, even biblical or spiritual illiteracy, in the few priests that remain. And you start seeing how that sets it up for the Reformation, when there's, you know, the reformers are saying, we actually have to get back to the Bible. And there's all these Roman Catholic priests, they don't even understand, they don't know the Bible. Well, yeah, you can see there's a little bit of a reason for that. It's because all these guys got thrust into it just to be replacements, because, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the priests were dropping like flies. So people had less confidence in the church as a result, and I would say the theme of this time is blame. We want, we want somebody to blame for what's happening to us, uh, the plague. And that's, so that's what dominated, I would say, the medieval church's response. But then that leads us then to the Protestant response, uh, the Protestant church response. And uh, I think I've got a picture there maybe. Yeah, so this, this is... Uh, I had to have the little uh, nice turquoise uh, thing covering some of that. This is Peter Bruegel's triumph of death. And if you're familiar with the art from this era, uh, Peter Bruegel, uh, Hieronymus Bosch, uh, some of these guys, they would paint these scenes in great detail, of, and, and you can look this up online, of masses and masses and masses of people dying. Dying in horrific ways. It's kind of like we would associate with the whole genre of horror movies. Very grim and dark, and that's the art that was being made in those times. And so this is... The date here for Bruegel's painting is 1562. Uh, these are the, in these 16th century plagues. And you know the 16th century, that's our, that's our hinge point, right? 1517, we celebrate on October 31st, Reformation Day. That's, your, that's you know, Luther nailing the 95 Theses. I don't think you can really understand Luther or the Reformers unless understanding this you know, this culture of death as a result of, of the plagues. Now, in 1527, Martin Luther, we know, I mean, this is a Lutheran building, uh, he wrote, he, he spoke about uh, what he titled, Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague, and that was his talk. Uh, one of the, one of the, uh, one of the uh, uh, translators for the introduction to our, our Luther's works in this section, uh, Carl Schindler, he said this, it's not in the slide, he said this, speaking of what happened when the, when the plague came to Wittenberg, 
it was, it was 1527, beginning of August. And, and this translator summarizes it. He says, Luther, along with Bugenhagen, who was another professor in the university, they stayed in Wittenberg to minister to the sick and frightened people. Uh, the university actually picked up and moved. It, it moved to a different town to get away from the, you know, like, they didn't move the literal building, but they, they moved the faculty and the students, okay? Um, so Luther and, and this Bugenhagen, the, the professor there, stayed to minister to the sick and frightened people. By August 19th, so you're, you know, I think it, I think it came August 7th, so you're about 12 days in. You got 12 days he said there were 18 deaths in his circle. The wife of the mayor, Tylo Dene, he, she died almost in Luther's arms. Luther's own wife, Katie, was pregnant, and two women were sick in his own house. Uh, Luther's little son, Hans, refused to eat for three days. Uh, the chaplain, George Rohrer's wife, she was also pregnant. She got sick. She lost both her baby and her life. Bugenhagen and his family then moved into Luther's house for mutual encouragement. So basically, you're, everybody's just, you know, they're all living together. They're trying to help one another. But people are getting sick and dying. You don't know who's going to... Yeah, everybody's getting sick. Whether they live or die, you just don't know. There's death all around. So that's kind of the context. So this is what Luther said, and I think we've got the quote here. Uh, you maybe can't read it, so you've got to listen to me. L this is Luther's words. He says, Very well. By God's decree, the enemy has sent us poison and deadly awful. Therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order, to, in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me. And I have done what he has expected of me. And so, I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. So you see, what's interesting with Luther is the development of a little bit more, even I would call a little bit more sophisticated and nuanced approach that we would all recognize as, as being very prudent. Luther, he also condemned those who, quote, lightheartedly make sport of it. That is, the plague. They lightheartedly make sport of it and wish to prove how independent they are by engaging with people who are known to be infected. It's kind of like, yeah, okay, well, you know, um, you know, somebody's got the flu, 
You know, they touch that doorknob and I'm going to go lick the doorknob just to prove how awesome I am. You know, well, that's, you know, it's ridiculous. So what's the theme then that we get? We get from, from, I think, Luther and the Protestant response is a prudent fearlessness. It's not a reckless fearlessness. It's very prudent it's concerned with, yeah, I don't want to be, I don't want to be spreading this. Um, but also, I'll, there's a fearlessness to be able to go and serve others. Uh, Calvin, Calvin in Geneva, there was a plague in Geneva in 1542. Uh, and Scott Manich, who wrote a book on Calvin and his, the group of pastors who, who served and ministered to his church and to the other churches, uh, Manich just summarizes this situation. He said, The responsibility of providing pastoral care to people infected by the plague invariably placed in sharp relief the gravity of the minister's calling and the personal costs that come with it. And so uh, just, the, just the thought that because a pastor is a central point of which a whole diversity of people have contact with, well then the likelihood of that centralized contact then himself getting infected somehow. Whereas an individual, well they, they, might, they might connect with the pastor, but they don't, they're not connecting with you know, the tens or fifties or hundreds of people as well. They're, they're kind of staying away from them. And so there's a personal cost there. Um, you know, and I... Even personally, like I, I've shaken a lot of hands over the years, uh, and you know, you just think, oh well, you know, on on Monday I always expect to have some type of a little sniffle or something where my body is fighting off what somebody had, um, you know, and so there, but that's minor for me. But 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 that's but for the for the Genevan pastors, it was a serious issue where it was touch and go, you know, if a, if a pastor is ministering to different people in different areas. Well, it's, it's likely that he was going to die. Uh, so, so they had a plague in 1542. So the theme then from Calvin, I would say, from Geneva, were costs. There was costs in response. Well, I'm going to jump ahead. I mean, we're skipping centuries here uh, at, a, at, a, at a hop. In 1665 to 1666, there was what was known as the Great London Plague. So moving to England now. Um, Thomas Vincent, I, I don't have a slide for this, you'll just have to listen for this. Thomas Vincent was a preacher in England. He had a sermon on Micah, Micah 6.8, The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is the sound of wisdom to fear your name, hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. And Thomas Vincent said this. You just listen. The plague, I'm quoting, the plague is a terrible judgment by which God speaks unto men. It is a speaking judgment. A speaking judgment. Where God sends the plague, He speaks, and He speaks terribly. The plague is very terrible as it affects terror. It produces ter terror. The pestilence which walks in darkness is called, quote, terror 
by night. And then he's referring to Psalm 91, verses 5 and 6. Vincent says further, The plague is very terrible. It is terrible to those who have it, in so much as it usually comes with grim death, the king of terrors in its hand. And it is terrible to those who do not have it, because of the danger of being infected by it, the fear of which has made such an impression upon some that it is drained out of their hearts all affections of love and pity to the nearest relations and dearest friends, so that when the disease is first seized upon them, they have had the greatest need of support, and yet they have left their friends in distress and flown away from them as if they had been their enemies." Unquote. So you can see that, that response that could come out because of not only the terror of death itself, but then the fear of it and what it does to us. Now another uh, Puritan, these are Puritan preachers in London, was Richard Sibbs. He's maybe a name you've heard of. Um, and so Sibbs was preaching on Jeremiah 8, verses 6 and 7, and the title of his sermon was God's Inquisition. So you think about things that happen in your life, and is, is God kind of bringing you into this inquisition where he's questioning you and, and asking you questions about your life and your relationship to him? And Sib says this, and you've got the quote there. In regard of God, men speak not aright when they do not see Him in the judgment, but they look to the creature, to the second causes, as now in the time of plague, to look to the air and weather and this and that, which is a good providence, and to forget Him that is the chief to kill dogs and cats, and to let sin alone. I thought that was a good line. To cry out, oh, what air there is this year, and what weather it is. To talk of the second causes altogether, and to forget God. This is to talk amiss of God's judgments threatened in regard of God. Unquote. So, you, you can see, and, and I, I mean, again, I want to be careful about making connections to what we've just been going through, but, but there is, he's drawing out something that I think is a universal principle, namely, we all have a temptation to fixate on the secondary causes, and we ignore God. And I'll give just a quick example for myself. Um, you know, still one of the big events in Crystal and my, our, our lives was the 2013 flood in High River. And what we saw, though, we saw so many people in our town, they were fixated on the secondary causes. Oh, well, the government didn't do things up with the river upstream, or the, the, the town's response was poor, or you know, all these different things but they didn't go to the primary one. Well, what is God calling us to do? And, and they didn't turn to the Lord in the way they should. And so the theme here, though, is the same. The theme in then these Protestant responses, certainly at the time of the Puritans, was that we would pay attention to God. We would pay attention to God. And uh, 
there's been, it's interesting just seeing our church has grown uh, during COVID, but it's not, you know, they're, they're not lined up down, you know, down First Avenue, uh, which they should be. Like, like, like this city, having what we've gone through, everybody should be crying out to the Lord, and they're not. There's still people, and you might be one sitting here, and you're, and you're just thinking, oh, well, yeah, I just, uh, you know, kind of carry on. You know, now I'm through it. Instead of recognizing, no, the whole point of it, the deepest point, was that you turn to God, and people are still not doing that. Uh, the last major outbreak of Yersinia pestis, that's the bubonic plague, was 1720 in France. So that's why then, you know, we can get into Spanish flu and things like that, but I decided to kind of make the break there and in and, and terms of the history of the church, partly because of time. Uh, but, but that's where the bubonic plague ends, essentially. And I just want to summarize then with what then just to, to kind of frame out then some of these responses. So we see then what I'm saying are the themes of repentance, compassion, blame, it's not great, prudent fearlessness, the costs, and paying attention to God. Consistently in the response, Christians throughout time have, have seen the value of a proper quarantine of those who are infected. Um, there's also seems to be fairly consistently, at least at the church at its best, a compassionate proximity. So this idea that you, you do go, you, you show compassion to people and even getting close to them and, and helping them. One of the things that comes out is people have to admit the limits of human explanations. Um, people, you know, even, even in the London plague, they, they didn't know, they thought it was the weather. Oh, it's kind of smoggy. That's mu- that must be what's carrying the disease. Um, and of course, you know, you know, people, they kind of thought, oh, maybe it's transferred in the water. So let's stop taking a bath. Like, bad idea. Go ahead. Take a bath. Um, the other is just seeing then the temptations to blame others and the temptation to self-atone. Oh, why is this happening to me? This can apply to any calamity. Why is this happening? Oh, I've got to kind of atone for this myself, which is different than repenting. Repenting is just to turn from sin, sin and cry out to God. Self-atonement is, oh, I'm going to do certain actions, I'm going to go through certain procedures that are then going to somehow expiate what's going on here. And this is not the case. Uh, and finally, then, the call to repentance. So that's, that's kind of my very quick summary. I'm going to th- just mention a book. Um, this, is, this is a scholarly book, but it's, quite, it's written in a very accessible way by a guy named Rodney Stark, The Triumph of Christianity. It's not, it's not about the plagues. He's got sections on the plagues. But what's interesting, though, is he gets at, he's a sociologist, so he's not a historian, he's not a theologian, he's a sociologist, but he just observes, he observes what happened as Christianity spread and how was it different than pagan responses to all of the calamities of life. And through that, that just seeing even some of the practical benefits, why then Christianity was seen to be so appealing. 
And uh, so it's, it's quite insightful. Rodney Stark, The Triumph of Christianity. Again, don't agree with everything in it, but uh, read with discernment, but he, he, uh, he has some really good stuff there. So with that, I'm going to open to questions for a little bit and just see, see if I can handle them. Um, I'm not an expert on this. Uh, and, uh, and if you go to COVID, I don't know if I'm going to, I, I'm going to offer you much, but yeah, anyways, go ahead, questions now. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Josh. Yeah, so, the, so Josh just asked about biblical instruction about quarantining, and, and so the, probably the, the, the key is just looking at the Levitical patterns. Uh, the Levitical pattern in Leviticus highlights quarantining those who, are, who, have, ha, who possess in themselves, they are the infected ones. So it's recognized that way. So then they are quarantined uh, versus uh, some thought of quarantining quarantining than the healthy. Uh, what you're seeing then with this, I think it's fairly consistent throughout in, in different ways, like Luther offered a very nuanced, careful perspective, but there was this sense of if you're healthy, you know, you can then take the risk to reach out in some manner and, and minister to those who are, who are in need. So that's kind of the opposite of being you stuck away quarantined. Um, but, but then there is this recognition that, well, if someone's sick, well, you know, what will we say? If you're sick, stay home, right? Um, you know, it'd be different, though, if you're not sick, stay home. You know, but th- that's the idea. So I, I would think Book of Leviticus with the, Levi- Le- Levi- the Levitical laws would provide a pattern for us that way. Of course, Jesus, though, he could heal leprosy. You know, he reached in. Uh, I, I didn't get into all of that, into leprosy and things like that. But Jesus, one of the things he did, he would actually go and minister to the leper in such a way, not only, you know, you think, oh, well, he could have gotten sick or whatever. Well, you know, he's the incarnate son, so, so no, but but the, even the idea that in Jewish understanding, according to the Levitical laws, to even go to that leper's house and touch that leper, have anything to do with that leper, would make you ceremonially unclean. Not just, oh, I might catch an infection, but actually be ceremonially unclean. And Jesus did that all the way along and just showed that he had the ability to purify the unclean. So, other questions? So Akeen's question is, uh, if, if the plagues are bringing judgment, has there been occasion when there's been a revival uh, as people repent in response to that? Well, I think probably... I, I, my brain's foggy, but I would just say probably the most prominent one would be the Reformation itself. I believe that the Reformation was a revival. Uh, that actually, because the Reformation was not just changes in the churches, 
but actually you had people in different places, some of whom, you know, it's not like, oh, well, everybody was reading Luther. Some guys, like say, there was guys down in Italy that hadn't read Luther, were coming to the same conclusions about justification by faith alone, and were actually, you know, pulling out of Roman Catholicism at the same time. I just, I think it was a revival. And, but what happened then, when you have people who are saying, yeah, each day, I don't know if I'm going to make it through the day. I don't know if my loved ones are going to make it through the day. It seems like the end of days is upon us. Well, then people aren't playing church anymore. Like they're, it's not, they're, they're not playing around. So then they're open to turning to the Lord. And especially then if they have opportunity, oh, well, yeah, we're going we're gonna to put the Bible in your own language. Luther's going to give it to you in German. Oh, I can read the Bible? Well, I'm, I'm going to eagerly go after that. And so then there, there was that turning. I, so I would say the Reformation is the big one. Uh, I think that would be the clear one. I think it would be tough. Some of the others, I mean, I don't know about revival, but Rodney Stark and, and many scholars would argue that the compassion response of the Christians in the early church was one of the biggest response, the biggest reasons, uh, humanly speaking, why the spread of Christianity took off. Because you think, why, why is this one more religion out of Palestine, you know, Asia Minor? Why would that be appealing to the sophisticated Roman Empire, this superpower? It just wouldn't be, it's not cool. But then when they start seeing, oh, look, th- these Christians got something we don't. They, they seem to have a hope beyond the grave, so then they're so generous. Why? And, and it really, Stark makes the point, it really contrasted with the pagan religions where they didn't really have, the, even the pagan priests, they didn't have a religious motivation for why they would want to have charity to anybody. The, pagan, the pagans did have little charities, but it wasn't connected to their beliefs. It wasn't connected to their, their theology, if you, if you want. But the Christians, they actually really believed things, and out of those beliefs, then they extended this generosity and charity. And so that, that people could see that. They could see, hey, there's a difference. And then all the pagan priests, like when the... When the Illnesses come, they bolted. They 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 were out of there, and so yeah, you could go to the temple, but nobody's there. Or if you did find a pagan priest, well, you'd have to bribe him. You know, you got I, I I'm going to give you a bunch of money so that I can get you to give me Zeus's blessing on me, and people could just see it was a racket, and and they and they started seeing through it, and that's why Christianity what, that would be a human reason in terms of seeing at a horizontal level, why Christianity spread. So I don't know if I'd call that a revival, I'm not sure, but it was certainly the advance of the Christian faith. So that would be one, and the Reformation be another, I think would be clear ones. Good question. Jared, and then Aiden. So you're getting into all my all my into all my pet theories. I get to see how radical I can be. I actually think that I don't know if in my lifetime 
Um, but I think in the times to come, I think churches are going to be one of the few centralized institutions left over in what I imagine is going to be a lot of collapse coming, um, where we then will have to step in like, like the medieval, like, like the, the Church of the Reformation, like the early church, where then what we would classify within our, our mercy ministries, that mercy ministry would actually be something that the church really expands beyond what it normally does. Now, if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm happy with that because I, I like to go I like to, go to uh, emergency. I like to go to the hospital. I'm glad it's all there. But if any of that kind of runs out of money or some type of collapse or can't be sustained, I think that the churches need to kind of then pick up the slack, which is what churches did throughout history is when there wasn't any help in society for the, that practical, even that front-end nursing, well, then that's, that's when then the mercy ministries of the church took over. And so I think churches right now should even be thinking about ways to fill the gap, ways to even to help. I mean, I've talked to a few people in our church, uh, some folks, just as far as is there a gap between what the, where the church is and where our healthcare system is and ha- is there a way that we can help with advocacy or just even referral? Sometimes like, you know, even, even people here, like we don't know, well, what should I do first? Like should I, should I go to Emerge? Where, where, do, I, where do I go? I, I just need some advice. I need some help. And, uh, and so there, there can be a role then to be able to facilitate and see what, what are the resources that are there and where should you go first? Or, or someone who's like, oh, I don't want to go to the hospital. And you need somebody to tell them, yeah, you do. You need to go to the hospital. Go. Don't, don't think, you know, just keep, you're going to sit and pray and then, you know, you, God's provided the hospital as the means to answer your prayers. Go. You know, and so that kind of advocacy, I think that can be developed over time. But all of this, you know, we're a little out of practice with it. But that's a good question. Aiden? Yeah, so see if I can summarize the question. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Are we then supposed to uh, sort of exegete the providences of it so that we can discern, oh, well, God is, God is punishing us or God is rewarding us or God's doing this, that, or the other. Um, I think the point is, and that's why I said it's, it's about paying attention to God. I think we have to be careful, just as Josh is going to preach on Jonah 1 here in a little bit. We have to be careful about interpreting circumstances and providences as if we do know very clearly what God is doing. Because we don't. We know what the Bible says very clearly. We can understand that and those truths. But do we know all the purposes that he has going on, the layers and layers and layers of purposes? Well, no, we don't. But we are to pay attention to God. So even though 
the, the point then is, I would say, the secondary things, the point is not to be fixated on the secondary, but to realize all of them are just megaphones saying, look at God, look to God, go to God. Don't presume, oh well, I know exactly what God's doing with the pandemic or with the change in the politics. I know exactly what's going on. Well, I don't know. I know what the Bible says. I know the gates of hell will not prevail against the advance of the church. I know that for sure. You know, those are sure things. But it's all about paying attention to God. Yeah, interpreting all the providences, we have to be very careful. And yet, we also recognize God is sovereign over all. He's sovereign over what we might experience as negative or what we might experience as positive. He's orchestrating it all. And we know that God causes all things, all things, plagues included, all things to work together for good to those who love God who are called according to His purpose. It's not all for everybody's good, but it is all for the good of the church. It is for the good of the church. And I think we've seen that God used the plagues and He's actually able to orchestrate them in such a way that even in all the tragedy, there was much good that came out of it. So, I'm going to end it there. Those are good questions. I think, if anything, maybe it's not plague, but whatever the calamity is right now in your life, you can be thinking about, well, am I, am I actually paying attention to God or am I fixated on the secondary issues? Am I paying attention to God? Am I repenting? And am I truly seeking to offer the compassion of the gospel of Jesus Christ towards sinners in the midst of that? Am I doing that? And if I'm doing that, I don't need to have it all sorted and explained and figured out because I can trust God through it all. And that's what Christians have done throughout history. So let's pray together as we conclude and then we'll get ready for the main service. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we, we end our time, we ask that you would help us to be prepared for calamities by staying close to you seeking your face, seeking to know what you prioritize for us in the good times and the bad. Help us to lift our eyes from our immediate circumstances and see you and your great glory. Do this, we pray, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.